Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to a bonus edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. I am your host, Kian Sabani, and this is a special episode. Uh, the only episode we'll dedicate entirely to previewing a match against Fuenlabrada because this is the exception to the rule as we have Spanish football journalists, the unparalleled Sid Lowe joining us. Sid, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, true or false, when I asked you to talk about Fuenlabrada and come on the show, you jumped at the opportunity because you never get to talk about them. That's, uh, that's largely true, yeah. Um, when, when the draw was made, I was able to persuade ESPN to, to do a piece about Fuenlabrada and their reaction to the draw and what it means to them. But it is true that, that I don't get the chance to talk about Fuenlabrada very often. And, and, and obviously, they're a team that I see an enormous amount of. I've actually got a season to get hot this, uh, this season with them. If you had the chance to just write a weekly column about Oviedo and Fuenlabrada, would you just jump at that? <laughs> um, I, I suspect I probably wouldn't have very many readers. I mean, I could write it, but I don't know how many people would actually read it. Um, I guess the most obvious question is, why Fuenlabrada? Why are you drawn to them so much? Oh, and that's very easy. Um, and, and as the Spanish phrase goes, the answer to that question has a has a name and a surname. Uh, and that's Diego Tavero, who was... Uh, for many years, the kind of the, the, the great idol of, of Real Oviedo, which is the team that I support, um, you know, that he was kind of, if you like, the, I suppose the he was the leader, the goal scorer, the person who symbolised the club uh, in in the dark years, the guy that helped to Oviedo to, to survive at times when, you know, genuinely we're talking about proper survival in those years when they were playing in the second division B, was part of the team that, that took them up to the second division. A very, very important goal he scored against uh, Cadiz in the playoff, without which Oviedo wouldn't have gone up to the second division. And then at the end of his time at Real Oviedo, he, he decided he wanted to carry on playing at, at the age of uh, 32 and he signed for Fuenlabrada. And of course, so that you've got purely chance, which is Diego Ferreira, if you like, kind of my, you know, one of the players that I most admired watching Real Oviedo, someone I, I know reasonably well. He joins Fuenlabrada, which from my front door to the front door of the Fernando Torres Stadium is probably not even 11, 12 minutes in a car. So I was going uh, quite a lot to start with to to watch Diego play. Uh, and going as well with my son, who, who also has Diego as his kind of favourite player uh, anywhere in the world. And so we started going to watch to, to watch Diego play for, for Fuenlabrada. And of course, what happens by definition when you start watching a football club is it becomes about more than just one one player. To the extent that I remember a, a week when when I, I'd been told that that uh, that, that Ferreira wasn't going to start. And he, he, he'd said to me, I'd spoken to him before, he said, no, I'm not going to start the weekend. I think I'm going to be on the bench. 
And I said to said to my son, "Do you still want to go?" He said, "Yeah, because well, Diony will still be playing, won't he?" And and sort of started naming all these players. Well, they'll all still be playing, won't they? I said, "Well, yeah, they'll all be playing." I go, right, let's go then. So wow. we ended up last season, which was actually a really special year for Fuenla Brother, who got into the playoffs for the first time in their history, who reached the final of the Copa Federación, uh, which is kind of like a Copa del Rey for those teams who don't reach the Copa del Rey. So third division and second division B teams, they reached the final of that against Saguntino. Um, and so over the course of the season, you know, we must have been to the best part of... I mean, bear in mind as well that the second division B, of course, is regionalised. So these are all games that are nearby. So you go and watch uh, Fuenla Brother play at Alcobendas, at San Sebastián de los Reyes, at, at Toledo, at a whole series of, of clubs local, Pozuelo, at of Acker. Um, so must have seen them play the best part of 35 times last season and then decided this year, even though Diego moved on and is now playing for Mirandes, decided that, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going. So um, I am one of the, the 1,200 season ticket holders this year, which is a huge increase on last year it's when there were number. only about 600 of us. Wow. Um, and what's the capacity of the stadium? It just seems like a big number to me for a, for a team that small. It is a big number, and and here's the truth. This is this is where I, I think that there's a, a kind of a, an asterisk by that number, which is that the the total was about 900 mm-hmm. before the Copa del Rey draw, and I think the Copa del Rey draw has had a, had a huge impact because, of course, being a being a season ticket holder then gives you access to a ticket for the Copa del Rey. Admittedly, you have to buy it separately, and so I think some people kind of came on board because of that, because of the excitement that that generates. The stadium last year. Um, was expanded towards the end of the season. Basically, there's a there's a there's kind of an empty area on the more or less on the touchline where the where the two benches are, which is below the main stand, and they put seats into that. They filled that area with seats when they reached the playoffs last year, and I, I think they got up to three thousand against um, against Villanovense in the playoffs last year. I think there were three thousand in the ground. This year there will be more against Real Madrid. I was there at the game uh, not this weekend, the weekend before against Celta, and the car park was absolutely full of seats, temporary seats that they brought in. And the hope, although I must confess, I don't know if they've been able to fulfil this, the hope was to take the stadium to something close to 9,000 for the visit of Real Madrid, which would be absolutely huge. I don't think they'll fill it completely, but um, I think they're relatively optimistic that they won't be too far off. Well, I had read, I had read your article for ESPN about the draw. Um, and one thing that struck to me, like the way you were describing the players' reaction and Luis mm. Mia's uh, reaction... I mean, like the fruits of it is kind of what you just said, right? Because it's not just a big deal for the players. The fact that people are buying season tickets because of this draw, it, it takes the club and the prestige to a whole nother level. It helps them financially. It's it's building blocks, right? I mean, it's it, absolutely. Can, can you talk about one Mia's reaction, um, but also just the importance of drawing Real Madrid? Yeah, as you say, I mean, there's there's two elements to that. There's there's two two kind of levels. One is the the, the players, and the other is the reaction um, of the club and what it means institutionally and financially for them. And for what it's worth, the, the tickets for this game aren't cheap. I think the t- cheapest tickets are thirty euros, and and that's you know not a long way off what a season ticket costs in some parts of the ground for the entire year. Um, so so it's very very significant from that point of view. Also, it also is part of a much broader process of growth at Fuenlabrada. They're very very conscious of of trying to build a side that can compete for promotion again, that can maybe get up into the second division to try and create um, a club that people want to go and watch. Because, you know, Fuenlabrada, although it's a satellite town of Madrid, is a big town. Uh, you know, we're talking about a, a town that's not significantly different. For example, that there's a whole there's, there are five towns around the ring of the south of Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Getafe, first division. 
Leganes, first division. Mm-hmm. Alcocon, second division. Mosales, um, not not in any of the top three divisions. And now Fuenlabra in the second division B. So there is a belief that there's a kind of a social base there mm-hmm. that could support a team at that level. But there isn't really the history. There isn't really the foundations. And so, of course, they're trying to promote that and push that by building a stronger side, a stronger side and, and building, if you like, kind of the some of the... Um, the kind of structure that that's needed to, to to make that possible to maintain over a period of time, and and I think it's it's very very ambitious what Fuenlabrada are doing, and this is really really significant because it, it puts them in the public eye. It 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 has the impact the the direct impact of you know the game itself and and what that generates in terms of revenue, but also what hopefully it will generate in terms of interest in the club um, going beyond this match. And then of course there's the the second leg at the at the Bernabeu, and so that's from the from the club's point of view. Um, and then you look at it from a player's point of view, and uh, you know genuinely, this isn't the if you like the cliche of this isn't a team with a postman uh, and a milkman and a, and a builder in it. These aren't guys who've got other jobs. These are professional footballers, but professional mm. footballers at a level where you know, they're not making a lot of money. Most of these guys will not anticipate ever having the chance again to go to the Santiago Bernabeu. So on a personal level, this is a really, really big deal. I and mean, for example, talking to to one of the substitute goalkeepers at the club, just saying, well, look, I know I'm not going to be in the team, but it'd be fantastic to be able to go to the Bernabeu and, and just take part in the warm-up, mm. you know, to be able to have a mm. kick around on the pitch for a bit. And, and it's, a, it's a genuinely big deal for them. I mean, for some of them, of course... This is about being seen and about maybe opening up a bigger market, not necessarily first division, but but second division football. And I've got no doubt, looking at the quality of the side, that, that some of these guys are good enough to play in the second division. But but I think it's more that emotional thing. It's more that sense of, wow, we're going to play against Real Madrid. And, and look, they're realistic enough to know that the likelihood is that Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, won't come and play at the Torres. But, you know, even, even Madrid's second string... I mean, if, if if you can even talk about a second string at Madrid where, where Zidane has made such a thing about rotations, even a second string is extraordinarily strong. Uh, and, and I think the excitement, um, the excitement is enormous. And, and you see it, as I say, in the in the draw and you see it in the way that the players reacted to it. Um, and, and, and that sense that look, they knew as well that they were going to get a big team. Uh, for, for those of your listeners who don't know, and I'm sure most of them do, the Copa del Rey draw is rigged in a way, in that the second division B teams who reach this stage of the competition know that they're going to play a European team. Mm-hmm. So in other words, Real Sociedad, Villarreal, Sevilla, um, Atletico, Atletico Bilbao, Barcelona or Real Madrid. Now, within that, any number of any one of those would have been huge for Fuenlabrada. But of course, the reality is mm-hmm. that, that Real Madrid is bigger than all of them from, from Fuenlabrada's point of view. And, and they, were, they were absolutely delighted to get them. Well, the way you were describing the article is that they kind of... They saw the other draws, right? So they kind of were yes. able to start to narrow it down slowly and it became more and more real. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And also bear in mind, of course, that you know the truth is that when you look at the potential teams that you can face, they didn't really want Real Sociedad. They didn't really want Sevilla, although these are big clubs. They, they, they didn't want Villarreal in truth. And, and you know, I can say this, by the way, as, a, as an Oviedo fan from a few, a few years ago in the Copa del Rey, we're in the same position when Oviedo were a second division B team. And, and we knew we were going to get a European team. And when it was Real Sociedad, you know, it was a big game for Oviedo. It was, it was nice to be able to go to Anoeta. It was, it was nice. It was David Moyes' Real Sociedad as well. Nice to have uh, La Real come to, come to the Tatierri. But you sort of knew that, well, given what it could have been, that wasn't very exciting. Yeah. So when you get this draw with Fuenlabrada and a similar process happens where they look at it and think, well, 
you know, really and truly, what do you want? You want Atletico, Barca or Real Madrid. Now, preferably you want Real Madrid, but Atletico, Barca, Real Madrid, those are the three really big ones. And of course, there was a there was a kind of a a, a, a sense of quite, quite a sense of excitement about the possibility of Fernando Torres coming to play at the Fernando Torres. But it's those three that you want. Barcelona goes, Atletico Madrid goes. So it's getting narrowed down. You think there's only one left for us of the ones we really want. Now, a couple of the smaller ones have gone, but you're thinking it's either Real Madrid or it's not that exciting in truth and when it was Real Madrid they were delighted and Luis Mia was telling me as well that they're watching it on the TV screen that for reasons that I think he can't explain and I can't really either was slightly delayed so the message is actually pinged up on his phone fractionally before the TV screen um, showed the message because I suppose because the feed from the Federación and you know if we know anything about the Spanish Federation it's a, it's a little bit behind the times uh, the feed from the Federation was was a little bit slow and so Luis Mia kind of sort of knew before it came on screen and he's nudging his teammates going it's Madrid we've got it we've got it we've got it then it comes on the screen and of course everybody explodes and and and, and you know is really really delighted about it um, and I, I say it's. It's genuinely a big deal. I was there the day after the draw um, at the stadium, talking to Mia and talking to one or two of the other players as well, talking to the staff there. And, and, and you know, I, I know it's a cliche and I know it's easy to say it, but this matters to Fuenlabrada. It really does. Yeah. I, I, was, I was taking a deep dive into this whole Estadio Fernando Torres thing because I was trying to figure out if he had actually ever played for them. And I don't no. think he has, right? He, he was just born there, is the connection. He's never... He's never been to the stadium since it was built. Um, so Fernando Torres went to the stadium when they were constructing. It's a municipal stadium, so it's it's owned by the council rather than by the club. Um, and Fernando Torres is basically Fuenlabrada's most famous son, of course, a World Cup winner, the guy that scored the winning goal in the in the European Championships in 2008. So I mean, it's genuinely significant in sporting terms for the town that, that Fuenlabrada is, um, is is Fernando Torres's town. Um, so he was he's been there since the sorry he was there when the stadium was being built um but since it's been opened he hasn't been to any games and, and i think he's been invited a few times but 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 hasn't actually been yet and so i think there was a sense that hey, it'd be quite nice if fernando torres came here to play in in the fernando torres it wasn't to be as i say i think this i think this reward is, is far greater than, than him being there but it but it would have been quite fun torres once did a he did a pepsi ad i don't know if you remember this and he he couldn't pronounce pepsi properly and he said that it's because of his Fuenlabrada accent. Is, is that a thing? You can can you tell? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced that the Fuenlabrada accent, which is fundamentally just a just a, a slightly stronger version of the Madrid accent, I'm not convinced that the Fuenlabrada accent means that you can't say Pepsi properly. <laughs> That's that was just his fallback, his excuse. I think I think it's really that you know Fuenlabrada, and this is this is something that sees its parallels um, with Ica Casillas, and remember that that famous advertising campaign when he said, you know, I'm not a Galactico, I'm from Mostales, hmm. and I think Fuenlabrada is a similar sort of thing in in a, what it is is the idea of identifying yourself with Fuenlabrada as was the case when Casillas uh, publicly identified himself with Mosteles's hometown is it's it's a way of saying you know this is this is kind of real you know these are these are these are working class dormitory towns with big industrial estates around the outside of them and towns that are, are quite proud but of course whose identity gets kind of eclipsed by the fact that they're on the doorstep of, of Real Madrid and you know in footballing terms for Fuenlabrada that's that's also an issue as well you know the immense majority of Fuenlabrada fans and this is by the way even true of Getafe who now are a first division team or or at least was true of Getafe the immense majority of Fuenlabrada fans will, will have a leaning towards Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid as well mm-hmm. and maybe even more so than, than Fuenlabrada and of course that's one of the challenges they have is to try and generate a real interest in them knowing that they're eclipsed by Real Madrid and to a, to a lesser extent by Atletico Madrid. One of the, the connections that Maridistas have with, with uh, Fuenlabrada is Morientes coach there 
15, yes. 16 season. Did you, were you around them at that time? Did you ever had a chance to talk to Morientes about a stint there and like, and how come it only lasted one year? No, uh, Morientes, although Morientes was that, that sort of beginning of a process. Morientes, curiously enough, around about that same time, had also had conversations with going to, co- with which club was it? I think it might have been Alborg to go and, to go and coach in Denmark, was trying to find his way as, as, as a manager. I don't know if he's entirely given up on that, by the way, now, Morientes. He doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be pushing towards it anymore. But but no, he, and, but he was the beginning, Morientes, um, of, of this process that Fuenlabrada have had of, of trying to... You know they're under new ownership now, and I have been for about mm, the current ownership. I'm I'm guessing now, but I think it's about three years or so. And as I say, this this kind of a, ambitious attempt to to try and be a bit bigger. Obviously, what happens is that clubs um, in and around Madrid have the advantage that they have access to people with a name like Morientes, who, who obviously we don't yet know if he's going to be a great coach or not. Mm-hmm. But they have access to those kind of people, people who maybe don't necessarily want to leave the city, people who are, who are close close by. And I think that gives them a presence that if you took Fuenlabrada out and stuck it in the middle of Castilla-La Mancha, for example, it would be a much bigger town in terms of there's no one around it to, to eclipse it. But obviously it wouldn't have the same kind of communication with, with, with the capital city. But no, I must, I must confess, I, I, I wasn't watching Fuenlabrada when, when Morientes was, was in charge. So, you, I, I obviously have not watched Fuenlabrada as much as you have. The 35 times is a crazy number to me. Um, I also, by the way, digression, I have no idea how you do that, plus covered all the it's other not, Spanish It's national. not easy. It's yeah. not easy. I, I watched stupid amounts of football. I actually did a list the other day of last season i think i went to 118 games last season um and obviously then god knows how many on, t- on the television basically it involves watching lots of football that's been recorded at, at silly hours of the day and yeah, and yeah pretty I mean, much not having a life <laughs> i that the, the not having a life is completely relatable i think to most journalists but i would i would yeah. say that like i have severe anxiety because i have to watch every castilla game and mm. they often play at like the same time as like uh, a huge Barca or Atleti clash. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I have to know what's yeah. going on there. So I have to go back and catch up. Um, but with the the only time I've had a chance to watch Fun Narada play is when they play Castilla, which is not yeah. that often, but it's often enough to like, I know they're good. Um, yes. So a couple of things. One, um, do you, I'm assuming you, you do occasionally watch Castilla because you do follow Fun Narada. To an extent, yeah, but but only occasionally. In, in occasionally, truth, only yeah. occasionally. In truth, but I feel like I've, I'm I'm a bit I mean a bit like you in that in the sense that that there there are a lot of games that I feel like I should see that I don't get to. I feel like I should take more of an interest in Castilla, but 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 you know the 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 reality of a you know a ten match weekend in the first division, ten matches spread across ten different times. Yeah. Um. You know when when obviously there's a determination on my part to see Fuenlabrada where possible, to see Mirandes if I can, to see Real Oviedo whenever I can, to. See Granada now because they have the only Englishman playing in the in the Spanish two top flights playing for them and you know all of those kind of elements mean that and 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 you know this is before we even start getting onto the the problem of trying to watch Premier League football as well yeah it, no it's it impossible. basically impossible yeah, yeah it's impossible um the occasional times that you do watch Castilla like as occasional as it might be do you, does it ever strike you as how bad they are <laughs> um I mean look this the, the certain I mean, I think one of the things that happens with Castilla is is that I I always get the feeling with them that you you're picking out one or two players that you think are really good. Mm-hmm. The others, in truth, you think, well, you know, this this guy probably won't make it into the first team. But they, you know, they produce some reasonable players. But I, I think part of the problem with with analysing Castilla is is I guess that 
inevitably we analyze them within a Real Madrid context. You know, so you're never really just watching a second division B-side. And, and how good are this lot? Mm, um, you know, judging them against you know, against the teams that they're, that they're going to play against. So against a Pontevedra or a Gymnastica or, or, or an Atletico Madrid B or, or um, Rapido Buzas or Fuenlabrada or Naval Canero, one of those. You're judging them in a Real Madrid context. And so you're always watching them thinking, well, you know, Real Madrid is the biggest club in the world. And so somehow I think there's a tendency, which is some, perhaps a little unfair, to watch their B team in this case, Castilla, watch the B team and, and, and somehow want them to be absolutely amazing. Because you think, well, if these are the guys that are going to make it into the first team, they, they, you know, they, they'd better be the absolute business. And while Castilla has actually produced quite a lot of first team players for Real Madrid, there aren't too many that have been the very, very highest level. Um, no. You know, you go back to Raul, who, of course, began his career at Atletico and, and Guti are probably the last two of the on-field players that you say, you know, this is really is an, an extraordinary level. And even people who've played for Castilla, Castilla like, like Casemiro, of course, was signed with a view to him kind of finishing off his training at Castilla and then going into the first team, for example. So I think that's part of the problem is that you sort of want something a bit special to happen. And then there's another element which I say this as someone who, who doesn't watch them often enough and you'll have a much better grasp of this than me. But I remember Michel, the current Malaga manager, when he was coach of Castilla, complaining about something that other Castilla coaches have, have confirmed as well. Um, and I'll come on to in a minute why I think this is probably true as well. And they would complain about the fact that this is the Real Madrid B team, that these are kids, that they play in a national league. Now, of course, that means that they develop quicker. It means they have to be ultra competitive. It means they have to deal with the difficulties of professional football not just guys that are their age but guys that can maybe 10 years older than guys that in some cases are going to kick the shit out of them you know and put bluntly they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna you know try and bully them and i think that can sometimes while i think it can accelerate the progress of players and i think it can be very beneficial for the best players and it can it can help that progress towards the first team or as quite often happens of course with castillo players towards a first division team somewhere else maybe not real madrid uh, because Madrid produce a lot of first division players, even if until quite recently they weren't producing very many for the first team. And so I, I think while that can help, I, I think it can also be difficult. And I think it can also be be seen in the games that, that, that it, they, they can't always impose their kind of football on on, on the opposition. And, and, the, and the, the reason I say that I kind of confirm this is that I know that last year, for example, when it reached the playoffs, there were some people at Fuenlabrada that, that liked the idea of playing a filial, like the idea of playing one of the B teams in the playoffs. And Barcelona were, were into the playoffs last year. I'm not sure if they might have been the only, the only filial that made it into the second division B playoffs, but, but they did. And, um, and, and there was this idea that it would be good to play a filial, despite the fact that in terms of pure talent and technique, they're probably the best teams in the divisions. But there was a sense that with the tension and the pressure that comes from playoff games, that you can kind of, to put it politely, you can kind of lean on these players a bit. You know, you can kind of intimidate them a bit. You can, can kind of yeah. compete in a way that makes it difficult for them. And I wonder if that's part of um, part of the problem that, that, you know, the very fact that Castilla is linked to Real Madrid kind of changes the context for everybody, for opponents and indeed for those of us who, who are watching them play. Well, you're obviously right. And the, the, the when I watch them play oftentimes, and Fuenlabrada, by the way, are one of the exceptions to the rule that really, mm. I think, just win based because they're good. It's not just about Yes, I, think, I really think they are. Yeah. You know, I think they're a genuinely good side. Yeah. yeah. But you, you see, like you, it kind of reminds you growing up as a kid just playing in these in these leagues where people just kind of push you over and it's, just, it's really yes. physical. Um, but one of the... There's some times where I really feel Castilla's behind, like because they played Deportivo B recently this season. Mm-hmm. And the difference in quality 
tactically like they just got overrun like it was like right. they were just right. pinned and they couldn't ex- escape their third and you know we had produced your beloved producer Al on the show last season to talk yeah. about Castilla and he and he defended Solari and we kind of just looked at each other and we're like this there's no this guy works for Real Madrid TV I don't think he's he's he's, he's being completely objective but I, like the consensus at this point like majority of people really feel Solari is holding the team back in a lot of ways and Guti's doing mm. such an amazing uh you know just doing amazingly well with Juvenil A yeah know, in lower leagues yeah. Um, Which is perhaps a slight surprise, I suppose, because I think certainly as a player, I don't think any of us really had Guti down as managerial no, material, no. to be honest. Um, a couple more questions and then I'm going to let you go. Um, are there any Copa del Rey games in this schedule kind of jumping out at you that you, you kind of pencil, penciled in to make sure you watch? Well, from a, from an emotional point of view, and I suppose at this stage of the tournament, you know, quite often it is uh, kind of an emotional thing. Um, I suppose the the Atletico's trip to to Elche because of Saul and his family being from there and, and, and his identification with them is, is is quite a nice one. I guess the other thing is you you, you sometimes look at the Copa del Rey, and admittedly, I think in recent years this hasn't always been the case, but but it used to be, and I'm, I'm perhaps showing my age now. And I think actually Jose Mourinho changed this with his the seriousness with which he took the Copa del Rey, um, and and the, the kind of Barcelona followed suit. But I think I think you know it's not so long ago that the Copa del Rey was that tournament that you looked at, and you looked at it for a variety. You know, you looked at it for this is the tournament where Spain's other teams can can perhaps do something to 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 make the tournament exciting. Perhaps this is their opportunity to win something. So so I must admit I look at. Valencia, um, I look at Real Sociedad, possibly Villarreal as well, and you look at this and you think oh, this is. It'd be interesting to see how they go. Whether this is a tournament that they can progress in, whether this is an opportunity for them to win something, and and you know, again, this is this is purely kind of a. a if you like, an off-the-cuff answer. But a couple of weeks ago, I went up to San Sebastián to see Xavi Prieto. Mm. And, of course, Xavi Prieto, the, the captain of Real Sociedad, a guy who's played for them all of his life. And that was why I went to see him, because I wanted to talk about kind of symbolising a club and what it means and why he never left and, and, and why he associates so cle- clearly with, with the club. Um, and, and, of course, one of the things that, that we ended up talking about was the fact that he's had a 15-year career nearly uh, at Real yeah. Sociedad, and he's never won anything. Mm. And you think, you know, this is this is your last chance. And so I must admit, there's, there's a bit of me who thinks it would be lovely to see someone like him lift a trophy in his final season. And the Copa Ray perhaps offers that opportunity. But of course, we you know we know that the the, the 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 format of the competition means that the the Madrid and Barcelona, unless they get something horribly wrong, whether it's you know administratively as it was in Cadiz with Real Madrid, or whether it's a terrible performance or, or, or one a one one off bad night, but even that doesn't tend to happen because of course it's two-legged you, you always feel like unless they meet each other first or get something horribly wrong Madrid and Barcelona should reach the final but I must admit I look at the competition and I'm always quite excited by the possibility of someone you know someone being able to to make some history so for example last year watching Alaves get to the final and seeing Manu Garcia and Alaves fan all of his life yeah. be able to take his team to only the second final in their entire history yeah. um, I think I think was pretty special so so I must admit at this stage of the tournament I tend to look at it like that now we'll have a much better idea of that from the next round on because of course not only is the draw made but unless they've changed the format and I must confess I don't know if they have the draw will be made now all the way through to the final so teams will be able to see their pathway and I must admit I think one of the problems with that is if you're a team on the same side of the draw as say Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico you pretty much give up there but if you're a team as Alaves were last year you look at the draw and you say wow Madrid aren't on our half of the draw Atletico aren't on our half of the draw Barcelona aren't on our half of the draw we could get somewhere here 
And then, of course, they got to the semi-final against Celta. You got these two teams. Uh, so Madrid were on the half of the draw, but Celta cleared them out of the way for them. You get yeah. these two teams who are on the verge of something really historic. Um, and so, so I think I think we'll have a better sense of that once this round is out of the way. I mean, the Yellow thing last year, like, it wasn't like I thoroughly enjoyed them, particularly because I had to cover Marco Llorente and provide updates mm-hmm. weekly on how he was doing. But one of the most memorable things from them last season was the atmosphere of the Mentisorosa yeah. In the, the semi-final against Celta, you were there. Yeah, weren't you? No, that was that. I was there, and that yeah. was that was wonderful. I mean, you know, look, it's a semi-final of the cups. So you would expect it, but it but it really was fantastic. And, and actually, you know what? We we we, you know, we complain about the club, cup format, but 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 certainly, for example, I've seen that this week with when Labrada and I saw it in last year's semi-final, and I've seen it in all of the finals as well. When when it gets to that point, it's still pretty special. And the finals, for example, the finals between Madrid and Barcelona at a time when the rivalry can be quite nasty, at a time when the media can wind it up, mm. the, 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 the the finals, the Madrid-Barcelona finals in Valencia, for example, both sets of fans were absolutely brilliant. Mm. And, 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 you know, that's still something I think that's that's worth kind of clinging on to and worth worth trying to treasure. Um, one more question, Sid. I, yesterday I had a chance to read your article about Valencia and Marcelino. Mm. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me, because I'm always so fascinated about diet, is is when you talked about the strict regime and the and the weights and the and checking in and the weights and being so strict with their diet and Marcelino keeping them straight in line. Did they? Like I know you talked about diet, but did you ever get any insight like what their meal plan was, like what they were eating? Like, did they have like, a calorie restriction? Do they do they say eat this for breakfast, eat this for lunch, or was it just just watch what you eat? No, no, no. It was much, much more strict than that. So, so for example, and actually, funnily enough, after I'd written the piece, I got a text message from 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 someone yesterday from a uh, from someone at the club who 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 I'd asked to confirm one of these details for me. It was a bit too late to go in the article, but he said that that basically. So what you, what happens is you get literally a rundown of everything you've got to eat and what weight it is. So in other words, you know. I don't know, I'm speaking off the top of my head now, but it might be, you know, 200 grams of um, of lean chicken, no more, not mm. a gram more, not a gram less. Mm. Um, X amount of this. You have this for the for breakfast, you have this for tea. And, and, and that Danny Parejo thing, which is quite interesting with him, him actually saying, you know, we, at times we went hungry, you have an argument with your wife. And it, it's been it's been um, it, it was since revealed. And I can't remember if it was Marcelino himself that, that he spoke to Danny Parejo's wife and said, right, this is the meal plan. The, that you have to help Danny fulfill, right? Um, yeah. And and you know, and, it, yeah. and it's extremely strict, but it's it's extremely strict in a way that is kind of very clear cut. So in other words, you, every morning there are blood tests and weight tests and, and body fat mass tests. And if you are slightly over, you simply don't play that weekend, you know, right. and you get a fine for it straight away. Very very strict in particular on 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 body fat and, and nine point five is is the level. Now I must confess, I don't know if nine point five is is significantly lower than most clubs i've, I've been told before that that football clubs don't, normally don't want a player to be much over somewhere between sort of nine and eleven mm-hmm. but 9.5 i think is definitely at the lower end and i've been and it, it curious this because on the face of it there's a bit of me that thinks this is no big deal you know every club controls diet and mm-hmm. it's true every club does control diet but it tells you i think something about how strict marcelino is that even within football people talk about him People yeah. talk about him as being the most obsessed. And I, I remember being told about a player at Villarreal literally saying, by the end of the season, we, we, we've got nothing to draw on. It's almost like you need a fat store for the winter, you know, to get through the winter. <laughs> by the end of the season, we've got we kind of got nothing left because we've been so stringent on this all year. Mm. And, and obviously, emotionally, there's a kind of a burnout factor. And, and certainly when I went to see, uh, I went to see Villarreal early last season, 
uh, Franny Skiriwa was the manager and, and seeing them train and, and playing. And there was a real sense of relief around the club, a recognition without any doubt that Marcelino had been very, very good for them, that he'd been the best manager they'd had for, for, for some time. But there was sort of a relief that he'd gone, you know, that some of the pressure had been taken away. Some of that relentless, I wouldn't call it fear, but that sense that, you know, if I step out of line, I don't play. That I've been told stories of players that would literally not drink water because they worry that that water would make enough of a difference that they would be slightly overweight and then wouldn't play at the weekend. That players are kind of almost overwhelmed with the importance of being at the right weight. And, and of course, that can be problematic and it can backfire. Um, so, as I say, you know, it, it, monitoring weight and making weight a public element of uh, sort of public within the team environment yeah. element of what you do is, is not unusual. I was at a big English club's training ground this summer visiting a friend who works with them and walking down the corridor near, near the players' dressing rooms and there was literally a notice board with all of the players' weights written on it. And it was the player's ideal weight in one column. And then there was a, the weight was filled in the columns for the whole week daily. And mm. this is up to two decimal points in each case. So it's very, very stringent. Mm. But as I say, even within that world where it's really hyper-professional now, where footballers are more stripped down, they're more lightweight, they're more agile than they ever were. Even within that, people talk about Marcelino as this kind of this kind of obsessive. And, and yet when I've asked Marcelino about this and he was to say, it's nothing to do with me. I don't know anything about the physical stuff. It's, this is all this my own. It's all about him, the, the, the fitness coach. He's the guy that decides, but there's no doubt that they are far, far more focused on this than, than other managers in part, of course, because it goes hand in hand with the, the style with which they play, which is, which is very, very collective, very intense, uh, very high speed, almost frantic, you would call it. And yet, as I said in the piece, you know, frantic is perhaps not the right word because frantic implies a lack of control. And actually what Marcelino wants always is, is collective control over the games as well. I mean, hey, it's like who would argue the way they I truly believe they're back, like the way they're playing, steam rolling, their counterattacks are incredible. Defensively, they look great. Um, Sidlo, I really appreciate this taking your time out of your day. I know you have precious uh, time to, to get to your writing and stuff. So this means a lot. Thank you. My pleasure. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.